0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. The Prime Minister is in Brussels, set to address the European Parliament ahead of NATO's emergency summit. U.S. President Joe Biden will be announcing further sanctions against Russia, as it increasingly targets civilians and humanitarian aid. Now, NATO has been steadfast in its insistence that it will not become directly involved in the conflict, and that includes saying no to a no-fly zone. There's growing worry about what an increasingly desperate Vladimir Putin will do. His chief spokesman again raised the specter of nuclear attack.
2: Well, we have a concept of uh, domestic security, and, uh, well, it's public, you can read all the reasons for nuclear uh, arms to be used. So if it is an existential threat for our country, then it can be used in accordance with our concept.
1: Well, that was a spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, speaking to CNN. And of course, the question is, what kind of room to maneuver does that leave for the West? So what do you think? Should NATO become more directly involved in the conflict? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 740 4740 And now I am joined by Dr. Erica Simpson, Associate Professor of International Relations at Western University and President of the Canadian Peace Research Association, and Dr. Andrea Sharon, Director at the Center for Defense and Security Studies at the University of Manitoba. Thank you both for joining us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So let us begin with Dr. Simpson. What are you expecting to come out of this summit?
3: Well, I think everyone is expecting that the 30 NATO allies will remain very cohesive and they will remain in solidarity as they have so far in terms of their reaction to a possible land war extending into uh, Poland, Lithuania, Romania. So they have repeatedly said that an attack against one of us is an attack against us all. And that means that uh, uh, essentially Ukraine is not an ally; it's not one of the thirty allies, uh, nor is Moldova. And so the problem, of course, has been for a long time: how do we defend the partners in in NATO? And NATO has fervently and very strongly said that they will not um, they will not establish a no-fly zone, but nor will they go to war in Ukraine. However, they are providing armaments and the United States is shipping over a billion dollars worth of arms. So some experts are arguing that this could provoke Russia into a possible uh, biological, chemical, or nuclear attack. That being the last, as your spokesman from Russia said, it's an existential threat. Um, So they would use nuclear weapons if they perceived that there was an existential threat to Russia. How that would be interpreted is, is up to them, obviously.
1: Dr. Sharon,
3: what's your view?
4: Well, I largely agree, but I do think there are cracks showing among NATO uh, member states. Uh, Estonia's parliament voted to provide support to a no fly zone over Ukraine, and certainly many of the public. Of NATO countries are calling out for more to be done. So I think that's why this extraordinary meeting is coming into play to either reinforce the fact that the position of NATO is that they will not engage, or, or it might be um, a, a discussion about what more can be done other than as is being done through the EU and the UK and Canada and the coordination of autonomous sanctions. Is there something more that can be done? At the same time, we have a special meeting at the UN General Assembly, and the UN Security Council is set to vote on a draft resolution, uh, penned by Russia, which is, which is not common, uh, on the humanitarian situation in Ukraine, expected to be defeated. But there are lots of, uh, organizations that are working in the
1: background to see what more, if anything, can be done. Well, Putin seems to be increasingly desperate. The consensus seems to be that he is stalled, if not losing the war. And, and uh, the people paying the price are, are civilians. And Ukraine is being reduced to rubble, Dr. Simpson.
3: Uh, well, he has lost already, they say, six generals. Um, the Americans are saying that. And the Americans are estimating approximately 7,000 Russian soldiers. We don't know the exact numbers. Of course, to say that he's losing, I think uh, it's too early to say that. But perhaps because the Russian tanks, now the weather is warming up. It's above 9 degrees, Kiev airport. It looks like the Russian um, APCs may get bogged down in the spring weather. They thought there would be a fast and quick victory, and that plan A has failed, clearly. But I think it was much too early to predict a loss. They had 190,000 troops, uh, uh, and now 10% are, they're saying, reduced somehow. But that still means that Ukraine is is dwarfed. Uh, It's a David fighting a a Goliath.
1: But again, uh, is their biggest trump card that uh, they will come out and say, hey, we will will do the worst. We're prepared to use nuclear weapons, Dr. Sharon. Is that sort of the ultimate trump card?
4: Well, that that always has been the ultimate trump card. And and I think for the last few years, we've perhaps forgotten that nuclear weapons and chemical weapons are always a possibility. And, and certainly with uh, Putin, who feels he has, uh, you know, he's been backed into a corner, that has been the concern that he could lash out with these weapons. And we've started to see uh, Russia trying to... Um, Put, uh, the pressure on, on, in terms of propaganda that it is, in fact, uh, Ukraine nationalists, for example, that created an ammonia link, uh, leak, sorry, at a, at a factory. Um, and this sort of false flag, uh, priming everybody to expect something is concerning.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, the word is, uh, if you take a look at what they're blaming others for, you get a sense of what they are planning.
4: Uh, Certainly, that that, that has been the case. Um, Again, we, you know, uh, uh, we just have to wait and see. Um, the one thing I would say is that we want to make sure, though, that we're not too we're, we're not too constrained in how we assess the situation based on Russian propaganda, and 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 that's difficult uh, to to sometimes deconflict at times.
1: Um, so, can we expect uh, anything uh, more concrete uh, than sanction? Uh, well, sanctions are concrete, but can we expect? Anything more in terms of uh, a, an escalated involvement from NATO? Is that a possibility as this thing,
3: you know, just gets worse and worse?
1: Dr. Simpson.
3: Okay. Uh, can we expect an escalated involvement? Yes. Um, Andrea was just talking about a false flag operation. And certainly if um, the Russians were to use chemical weapons, let's say, to ferret out people in subways, or we're still a... Uh, a usable low impact, and that's, you know, a relative term, a smaller nuclear weapon. Let's say that they were to, to throw that at an abandoned area in, or abandoned field in Poland purposely to start a war. Then, yes, things would escalate very quickly. Uh, the Americans might start to attack, and this is a worst case scenario, uh, Russia's maritime, uh, assets, which are in the Black Sea they would attack the Baltic Sea, and we would see a European war. But for your listeners worried about a full-scale war like we were worried about during the Cold War, I think that's a very remote possibility, simply because deterrence will prevail, the fear of mutual annihilation. Uh, We know Putin is, I think, irrational right now, but certainly he can see the costs and benefits of complete destruction of uh, the Kremlin and Moscow. So as far as a large-scale nuclear war, I just want to assure the listeners that we're not back in 1983, 81, when President Reagan was talking about uh, a possible small or smaller European nuclear war, which scared everyone into an anti Anti into a disarmament movement, so I'm I'm not worried about a large scale conflagration, but I am worried about accidental war and escalation from a low level, uh, an, more like an atomic nuclear bomb, smaller than the Hiroshima and Nagasaki weapons. Uh,
1: Doctor Sharon, do you agree? Is Putin irrational, or is it just in his interest to make us think that he is?
4: Well, I, I, I that requires me to get into the head of Putin, what I, which I don't recommend on on for a number of reasons. I really have no way of assessing that. But I would just add that, uh, you know, I think that the specter of accidents, misperceptions, and incidents are really what could escalate things um, that weren't intended to. So for example, NATO has an Arctic cold response exercise off the coast of Norway. In the past, we know that Russia has engaged in very provocative behavior, sort of buzzing ships and planes and, and jamming GPS. We know they have a large fleet there in what we call the Greenland, uh, UK, Iceland gap. And, and we know they've been deployed there and it, you know, it only takes an accident or a misperception And especially as it looks like the command and control within the Russian military is starting to get a little bit woolly, I I do worry um, about that happening.
1: Hmm. Uh, Interesting. I also saw a report on Australian television about a possible coup. And it's always hard to know, is that just kind of wishful thinking or is there any truth to it? It apparently comes from Ukrainian intelligence. Uh, I'm sure that not everything they're putting out is accurate as well. Dr. Simpson, do you have a view of that?
3: Well, we are hearing from Russian military officers who, of course, would be jailed if they were to openly uh, openly question uh, President Putin. But we're hearing today murmurings that there's dissatisfaction because of the fact that the first that, that this first assault failed. And so there might be some internal dissent, but a coup, I think would be extremely unlikely. I can't read Putin's mind, but we know from how he sits at these huge tables and so on. He's uh, 69 years old. He may have cancer. That's the rumor, or he may have Parkinson's disease, which would explain his anger and his sudden, uh, impetus, his sudden impetuous movements. So he may himself be at the end of his life. And he may be taking risks that he, he thought he had changed the Constitution so he'd be in power until he was 85, but maybe he's taking risks now because he knows he's at the end of his life. Uh, so people are asking all sorts of bizarre things. Return his girlfriend with their four children from Switzerland. They have Swiss passports. Send them back to Russia. All sorts of things are coming out in the media about how we can topple this, this, this Hitlerian-Napoleon Whatever you want to call him, uh, figure. And uh, like Andrea, I totally agree with her assessment that accidents and miscalculation are very dangerous right now, which is why Georgia's military exercises uh, with NATO are actually could be seen as provocative as well, but they fortunately just ended.
1: Uh, that's really interesting. That's the first I heard that he might be very seriously ill. Uh, do you have anything to add to that, Andrea Cheryl? I don't know about uh,
4: Putin's health, um, but I do know he seems to be more and more isolated and he surrounds himself with sycophants who are only reinforcing his skewed view of the world um, and of Ukraine, and, and that's never helpful. Uh, there's every incentive for those close to Putin to keep Putin in power, um and and i think erica's right that the likelihood of a navalny like uprising is slim because of the police state in russia and how quickly they crack down i mean carrying um uh, flowers in in a central square is enough to have you thrown in jail but we are going to have to think about how we deal with a russia in the future um at what point do we decide to lift sanctions Is it solely dependent on uh, how Ukraine is solved? What about going forward? Things like the Arctic Council have been put on hiatus. This war in Ukraine is affecting so many other organizations and relationships around the world, both trade and political. This really is going to be one of those moments in history where we said the world
1: changed. Let's take a call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill.
2: All right. Well, so you've got the scholars on there. I'll give you the layman's uh, view of it. So uh, Biden, you know, he's absolutely a weak president, and NATO combined. They've told Russia exactly what they won't do. There's no, uh, the no-fly zone is off off the table. They won't send troops into the Ukraine. That's off the table. But what have they done? Have they actually sent uh, any troops over to the NATO countries? Have they started sending uh, jets over in our military bases over there to be ready to, uh, to respond if they go into Poland or if they go into to a NATO country? Um, have they sent any uh, the naval fleets? What, what, what exactly is NATO and Biden doing to, uh- tell, to send a message to Putin? You know, we, we have to draw a line in the sand here at some point. And when you cross that, the game is on. You, you have to show this guy's strength. This wouldn't have happened under Trump, I'll guarantee you that. Mm.
1: Um, well, Trump was uh, just saying how brilliant the whole thing, the Putin was uh, at the start of the invasion. I will let our experts answer your question, Bill. Thanks for your call. Um, well, Dr. <laughs> Who do you want to go first, Uh, Andrea or me? uh, (laughs) You go ahead. You're talking already.
3: (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, the idea of a line in the sand, I I agree with that. And that that buttresses deterrent. And that is what NATO has executed by saying that they will defend the 30 NATO allies, but not Ukraine. Ukraine is a partner, and the NATO allies would have to agree by consensus to accept Ukraine. So they made it very clear to the world that Ukraine is not a NATO ally. So that's your line in the sand. And as far as defending Poland, Lithuania, Romania, uh, Latvia, Canada has over 400 troops in Latvia right now. And now people say that's just a, a tripwire, which is kind of a term for... Uh, if they are attacked, then Canada would be involved in a European war. And that's very, very true. We have 400 Canadian forces there. We have op- uh, people in Operation Reassurance. The Europeans have thousands of troops. Uh U.S. has sent thousands of troops and contributed over a billion dollars of uh, military money for defense systems. So your caller, I mean, with all due respect, I think your caller needs to recognize that there is a line in the sand and it's been drawn around the NATO area.
1: And uh, And, again, I think he, he wants to know if additional troops were sent to the area just to be there. I th- I believe it. They have been recently. Yeah, uh, I,
4: I, I can pick up on that. Uh, so Canada has sent the HMCS Halifax and Montreal to help in the surrounding areas. Um, Erica mentioned the additional troops that have been sent. But um, the UK and the US, for example, have been instrumental in sending in what we call their Javelin and Stinger anti aircraft missiles, which mm-hmm. can be handheld or held by you know a, a small team. And and they have been really helpful. Um, We've also sent cameras for their drones to aid with the um, anti-aircraft missions and also sending um, helmets, flak jackets, boots, because it's, it's essentially a civilian army that doesn't have that equipment at the ready. So, you know, one of the things that Prime Minister Trudeau will be doing is making sure that a lot of that equipment that we're sending isn't being held up, um, has a way into Ukraine, so it can get to Ukrainians and, importantly, not be taken by the Russians.
3: Um, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add that the caller was saying that Trump wouldn't have got us into this situation. He actually... Uh, argued he would use the nuclear button against uh, North Korea. But people did not think that was credible. In this case, Joe Biden, by, by drawing back and showing restraint, is much more credible. And if NATO is attacked, um, I can assure you that there will be uh, full-scale retaliation. But by showing restraint right now, they are actually strengthening the position of NATO.
1: What about Turkey? They've refused to sanction Russia, and they're a member of NATO.
3: Uh, Well, Turkey has said that they would allow the Russian um, uh, ships and freighters and warships to go back to the Black Sea, to the Crimean Peninsula, but they did say they would intercept. The problem with Turkey is that it is not a democratic country. It is part of the NATO alliance. And people could ask questions, too, about Bulgaria and Hungary, whether they're democratic. So in the long run, will we... The checklist is not to become a NATO ally because you, a country is democratic. It's whether you are geographically situated to contain Russia, to contain the Soviet Union, previous Soviet Union. So that's, that's, the, that's the factor it determines NATO um, allies versus partners. And in this case, I don't see Ukraine becoming a NATO ally for a few generations because NATO decides by consensus. So uh, although they fought courageously, there's no question, uh, in the long run it would be very um, escalatory to, to allow Ukraine in. Do you think so, Andrea?
4: Well, I'll add that uh, Turkey is not a member of EU and the mechanism for putting in place sanctions are autonomous measures. So it's the EU, UK, Canada. Turkey isn't a member of EU, so doesn't have any uh, requirement to put in place sanctions. Um, Turkey has also really uh, been essential for starting negotiations. Um, between Russia and Ukraine. So mm-hmm. one thinking is by not applying sanctions, they are coming across as quote unquote more neutral and therefore an interlocutor between, uh, Russia and, and Ukraine. But, y- you know, that's, we're going to have to look to these outside countries, um, the India's, the Turkey's, those outside of the NATO context, because it's quite clear that, you know, NATO and, and Russia can't be negotiating directly on behalf of Ukraine. Um, And so while Turkey is a member of NATO, NATO has not put in place sanctions. Individual states via other mechanisms and relationships with the EU are what is driving
1: the sanctions. Uh, Let's take a call from Doug in Toronto. Hello, Doug.
2: Hi. I'm listening to all the comments and very interesting. But Strangely, I haven't heard anything about China. What role are they playing? And why aren't we hearing anything at all about China's um, involvement or what are they doing? Could we explain this?
3: Dr. Simpson? Well, the, yeah, the, the fact that we're not hearing anything from China is actually good news for the West, because initially uh, uh, we were expecting that China would back up Russia, but the fact that china has not strongly done so on the on the in the international community is uh, uh, gives us a sense of hope um, i agree with andrea that china and india are outliers they vote they did not vote at the un security council to condemn russia so they are india and china are outliers but in, it, it is also good news that they're not supplying Russia with armaments, that they're not on the world stage uh, praising Russia. People are asking about Taiwan, and wh- they are saying that um, Taiwan is not an issue. They're kind of downplaying that that whole issue. People are wondering uh, about whether China would take this crisis opportunity and attack Taiwan. But we would know from the military verification capabilities in space, and there are no uh, Chinese movements to uh to take o- take over Taiwan, so that's also good news
1: you know the, I've seen analysis which suggests that uh, the big winner in all of this might be China, Dr. Sharon. Well, it, China can be the big winner and the big loser. Um,
4: you know, one of the things that I'm sure it's concerned about is this is yet uh, Russia. It could be my next North Korea, which I have to constantly try and bankroll and convince, you know, to be careful with um, how aggressive they are with neighbors. And, and Russia is looking very similar. Uh, these sanctions are have devastated the Russian economy, the ruble is. Uh, you know, almost a junk status and uh, Russia is going to expect that China can help float them um, monetarily. This is also putting, you know, impetus in both China and Russia uh, developing more quickly digital and cryptocurrencies because they are very, very difficult to sanction. So there, there, this is, you know, what Russia is doing in Ukraine is, is, in some ways helpful for China. It is a great message to Taiwan to, you know, show that that is a possibility, an attack. At the same time, the fact that Ukraine is able to um, resist Russian aggression is also problematic for China because it shows Taiwan that,
1: that, that big powers actually can be held at bay. That's interesting. That's, uh, very interesting. I am, uh, looking at the clock. It's time to start wrapping things up. So, uh, Dr. Sharon, uh, looking at this NATO summit, should we expect sort of a little more of the same or, or something that might put an end to this just appalling carnage?
4: Well, I think there'll be a lot of side conversations. For example, we've heard very little about the numbers that the U.S. would take in in terms of Ukrainian refugees. They said none I would, so far. <laughs> I would say that those are some of the side conversations that will happen. I, I fully expect that the U.S. will confirm that uh, NATO cannot be involved in a no-fly zone, but it's going to be a very tense meeting because there are many publics that that want action to be taken every time we see what's happening in Mariupol. You know, these are war crimes. And can, can NATO stand by and do nothing and still proclaim to have um, respect for human rights and democratic principles?
1: Good question. Uh, Dr. Simpson, last 20 seconds to you.
3: Yeah, this is an extraordinary unplanned summit. There is a planned summit at Lisbon in Spain in June. And at that point, I think you can expect Canada will increase its spending to 2% of GDP on defence as will many other NATO allies. They were urged to do so by uh, Donald Trump uh, to no effect, but I think now this crisis will uh, lead to a sharp increase in Canadian defense spending uh, uh, and the other allies spending. And, and we will see that, I
1: think, in the next budget. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Andrea Charon and Dr. Erica Simpson. Appreciate your insights. You're welcome. Pleasure. Thank you. All right, we are taking a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll deal with a local issue. So uh, the pandemic almost over according to the way restrictions have been lifted, but there's still fallout for businesses. And we will talk to a Toronto professional and a homeowner who uh, has interest and penalties because of missed property tax payments. And she wants some relief We will have that when we come back on the other side of the.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Uh, We are talking about Wendy Walker's case, which I am certain affects other homeowners as well. She lost a lot of her business because of the pandemic. She is behind on her property tax payments and the interest is ballooning. And that is the biggest source of grief for her because this is interest and in penalties. And Wendy, uh, what's your reaction to what you've been hearing? Counselor Stephen Holliday says you have a valuable asset and uh, other home. Homeowners shouldn't have to subsidize your tax bill.
5: Uh, fair enough. First of all, I, I understand that taxes are vital to a city being run. I own a, a small condo; it's certainly not worth anywhere close to a million dollars. Um, I've leveraged my condo in order to pay my bills, so I'm I'm kind of maxed out there anyway. Um, and the other point I want to make is we're talking about interest charges of 1.5%, but he's not mentioning that every time we're sent, statements we're charged. So, you know, 18 and change for a statement or $25 if it's being sent to bailiff. So a lot of those charges are adding up as well, right? And I was sent uh, seven statements immediately after the first default, which was a lot of statements with a charge on every one of them. So...
1: So it just keeps uh, getting worse. What would you What would you like? Uh, would you like this to be forgiven, reduced?
5: I don't. I don't think my taxes should be forgiven, Libby. I just think that you know, a five hundred dollars in change on top of all of this is is rather overwhelming. So, I don't understand why there was pandemic relief for a time, and why, with a continuing pandemic, the relief stopped because people are still being affected by the pandemic.
1: Um, Councillor Holliday, you mentioned some very special cases where there is uh, some more relief for interest in
6: penalties. Uh, would Wendy qualify for any of those? Um, I, I, unfortunately, I'm not an expert in it. What I would say is uh, the seniors and low-income program, just by their, their definition, or it doesn't sound like it applies, most extreme poverty cases and, uh, extreme sickness cases are so rare, I can't even point to an example. So I, I, put them out there because they're part of the structure, uh, but I'm not sure that they're, that they're the most, uh, practical. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that those are the, the place to head for it. I think the bigger question is, is that there is, it sounds like, uh, in Miss Walker's case, you know, there's continuing hardship about many circumstances. Um, in her personal situation, and I look really to the federal and provincial government to deal with an income shortfall that's been sustained for two years. Um, you know, I, I won't ask Miss Walker about her other bills, but you know, maybe there are other ones that are also an issue here. And you know, Miss Walker needs a complete solution, not just uh, an issue with taxes. And I understand with the amounts in question. You know when a, when a statement charge gets added to it, it begins to material affect it, but it would be the same statement charge that would be added to a corporation that might owe five thousand dollars in in taxes or five hundred thousand dollars in taxes they would they would be paying interest and in statement charges as well and those are meant to recoup the cost of dealing with an account in arrears because again back to the principle, taxpayers uh, don't need to subsidize uh, a particular issue. The city recovers the cost that it costs to administer the particular situation.
1: Uh, Wendy, are you worried about having to go bankrupt or losing your condo? Oh, absolutely! You know, I've I've, I've cut corners wherever
5: I can. I've borrowed money. I've gone without groceries. It, it's it's been crazy.
1: Um, you know, and uh, are, is, you've kind of tried everything. <laughs> I've kind
5: of tried everything. I will tell you that I managed to get a short-term rental on my condo uh, because I lucked out um, and found a house-sitting job. And that house-sitting job ends at uh, the end of April, as does my rental. I, I just don't know what's going to happen come April. Our, our mandates are not lifted till the end of April. Um, it's going to take some time to rebuild my clientele. Um,
1: you know, I'm just hanging in there. Uh, David Rodfleisch, uh- What would you recommend for Wendy?
7: I have no useful recommendations. It's an extremely unfortunate situation. Um, I would remind everyone there's only one taxpayer. I mean, and whether it's the federal level, the Ontario, provincial level, municipal level, it's all of us are paying taxes. So... For the municipality to say it's a problem for the feds or for Ontario, yes. I mean, when it comes to some level of guaranteed income assistance, that's a federal responsibility. But I, I understand the policy concept of the city shouldn't be subsidizing, but highly subsidizing. I mean, these interest charges, one and a quarter, one and a half percent a month, whichever it actually is, you know, 16, 18 percent a year, is non-trivial. And it's not really out of pocket. It's not as if the city is borrowing and advancing the money to Wendy to help subsidize her tax bill. And these admin fees, as property taxes are, is reg- are regressive. As pointed out by the councillors. Exactly. if you got a $5,000 bill or if you got a $500,000 bill, if you got a $200 bill, it's the same charge. And it becomes usurious in terms of, of of the percentage rate. So, uh, I really would still advocate some measure of interest relief as a general program. It's not automatic. It's an application process. You look at the circumstances and say, "Okay, this is something where the taxpayers of Toronto should be subsidizing this person, if it is a subsidy, in giving an interest break. Well, a tax break, rest for an interest break.
1: Well, and, and that's interesting that you pointed out. It's, it's not a break on the actual taxes. It's a break on the penalties on top of that. And, and it, it sounds like, uh, really those penalties kind of more than cover, uh, the city's admin costs and interest costs on it. Uh, Stephen Holiday. What cost- As a general and in a more general way, how are the city's coffers being affected by the fallout from the pandemic in terms of collecting property taxes?
6: Well, it's an interesting question that you asked. So, I mentioned earlier in the show that there was a grace period of 60 days, and then a program was set up for people to apply for and qualify under. So, if we've got 800,000 or so tax accounts in the city, I think we had something in the order of 250 people apply uh, for that six-month period to have uh, relief from the uh, interest and fees on their taxes for that six months. And at the end of that program, um, all but a handful, and forgive me, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let me call it in the tens. Uh, all but a few uh, paid all of that money back on time. And, you know, it, it, the stat I have is that 97% of people pay the taxes within the year that they are billed. So I think in general, people are paying their taxes in the city of Toronto. Uh, in Ms. Walker's case, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, I, really, I really hope uh, this gets sorted out, and I think the big picture is is the disparity in our society for people that were involved in industries that were all, were personal services or or things really, you know deeply impacted by the pandemic. What are we doing as a society and as governments to deal with concepts like income support, income transfer through this? What happened to all the CERB payments and all the different programs that are beginning to sunset and move into other things? I mean, those are really big societal questions. I'm just not sure the property tax role is the place to resolve them.
1: David Rothfleisch, in terms of your uh, clients, are you seeing a lot of continued fallout from the pandemic? I mean, a lot of us are kind of moving on from it, but not everyone can.
7: CRA was effectively shut down for a year, so they've been up and running now for another year, and there's a lot of backlog that is now being caught up on. So our clients, some of them are now dealing with the repercussions of you know, CRE, there is a CRB benefits that uh, they have to pay taxes on, it's included in income, or loss of income throughout the process, and now they're... They're dealing with CRA collections officers, and that's where we do the fairness applications where we can to relieve interest and penalties, or if CRA is wrong, we, uh, we challenge the tax assessment, uh, which is something you can do at the federal or Ontario level, but not really at the municipal level because you know taxes are set, property taxes are set. You know, the so when you get reassessed, or your uh, sorry your, your, your new market valuation comes out, that can be challenged. But once that is etched in stone, that's it. Your mill rates, your bill rate, your tax bills, your tax bill. So there's more scope for dealing with federal taxes than there are with municipal municipal taxes. Really are uh, are pretty much fixed, and not much that you can do, and no interest relief. So you know, that's a problem. That's a disparity.
1: Hmm. Uh- Wendy, um, what's your plan? If you have one, what, what are you going to do next? You know, I've just been waiting it out for a couple of years. Uh, things seem to be, you
5: know, coming to an end as far as the pandemic. Uh, and hopefully when our mandates are lifted at the end of April, then people will, you know, it'll get busy again.
1: Mm-hmm. that's as, that's as far as I can plan, libby mm-hmm. and, you know, and then I'll just start digging out <laughs> and and what about your tax bill, your property tax bill, and the charges on it? well, I mean obviously, I have to pay it it's gone to bail
5: if it's gone to collections, my property's being threatened uh there's there's literally no leeway when I talk to the tax department, uh so I just will have to just start paying month by month until I get caught up.
1: Okay, well, um, wish you all the best, Stephen Holliday. What would you like to leave us with?
6: I just, I, I really uh, feel uh, for Ms. Walker and all the other people that are out there that are in similar circumstances. And, you know, to do their best, to get their be- the best advice possible on, the, on to deal with uh, limited financial resources, uh, reach out to their local counselor. reach out to 311 about how best to deal with outstanding bills to keep those extra fees as minimal as possible. The worst thing you can do is is forget about it or, or, or put it away and try to move it out of your mind, but just to keep it forefront. There's the shortest path is the best one to take on that, and uh, there are people out there that, uh, that can be spoken to to get the best help. So I, I wish her
7: all the best and, and good luck on that.
1: And David Rochefleisch, last 20 seconds to you.
7: File your federal tax return by May 2nd to avoid late filing penalties. That's my best <laughs> advice to everyone. If even you can't afford to pay your taxes, pay your return to avoid the additional charge.
1: Okay, and uh, you know what? Uh, you might be getting some money back. You have to file your taxes for that as well. Correct. Okay, uh, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Wendy Walker, David Rotfleisch, and Counselor Stephen Holliday. Appreciate your time. And that is all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, no. Fight Back with Libby Sneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Many pandemic restrictions have been lifted, but some of the economic fallout remains. Massage therapist and homeowner Wendy Walker missed some of her property tax payments because of the pandemic. And now she faces ballooning interest and penalties as she is getting back on her feet. And Wendy is calling for interest relief. She joins me now. Hi, Wendy. How are you? I'm great, Libby. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. So uh, tell us about your situation. Well, I'll just recap it for you.
5: Uh, The bottom line is I was um, out of work in 2020, like many people, and that has not changed for me. I've lost at least 90% of my business uh, waiting out the pandemic. Um, I owed approximately $600 by the end of 2020. My per-year taxes are about $2,100. Um, my concern is that to date, this amount now sits at $859. So I'm, I've got a surcharge of $260. For 2021, uh, my penalties so far are 270 So I'm looking at $530 over and above uh, what I would normally owe. Um, the first amount is a 30% uh, surcharge, and... So far for last year, it's sitting around 13%. Uh,
1: but uh, property tax, uh, there there were there was some relief for 2020, correct? There was. And yep. so why do you still have uh, a problem
5: with so that? The relief ended. I'm not sure which month. I'd have to check what the city told me. My, my balance owing was for the fall of 2020, at which point uh, there was, uh, I think there was no relief. I couldn't pay it so that the surcharges started based on the last two payments that I had owing.
1: Mm -hmm. And And, uh, massage therapists are able to work now, so uh, tell me a little bit more about your situation. Yeah,
5: so just to clarify, we were in complete lockdown at the beginning, as everybody else was, and then when the restrictions, the total lockdowns were lifted, our college issued a statement a mandate that still restricted who we could see so it was it's called a risk versus benefit analysis so basically if i can treat you if, if it's necessary for you to have a treatment and i can do so um, i i can do i can do it but if if it's not really um i have to defer you if you really don't need a treatment put it that way
1: um, I, I uh, am wondering if uh, uh, other massage therapists are in, interpreted it the same way. I know I returned to mine, as did a lot of people I know, long time ago. So, Libby, yeah. I
5: don't know your case, uh-huh. but for, for my clients, if they were coming in for a stress relief or maybe they were getting a couple of headaches or if they had a chronic condition that was under control, they had to be deferred. They have to be. That that is still in place, and we just received yet another letter that it will be in place uh, at least until the end of April. Hmm. So I can tell you that I lost quite a few of my clients to other therapists who were not following that mandate.
1: Okay, uh, let's bring in Counselor Stephen Holiday and uh, Tax Lawyer David Rothfleisch. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, uh,
7: thank you. Good to be back,
1: Councillor Holliday. Uh, you you can see the problem here that somebody's business was affected, and uh, the interest payments just keep ballooning.
6: Yeah. uh you know, it's, uh, it's good that Ms. Walker's told us about her story. I mean, I think there's so many people in the city that were involved in personal services or the food industry or the hospitality industry that have really been affected through, uh, through this pandemic at various stages. Uh, and hopefully things are are turning around. Um, but yeah, a, a very a very difficult story. So we can talk a lot about taxes, but maybe even the most fundamental question is the is the question about you know what is the city's role in supporting people through the pandemic? And you know, I want to zero in. This is a financial situation. Let's set aside the fact that it's taxes, but it could be any sort of bill that somebody has to pay. You know, and where does the municipal government sit in terms of providing relief? I, I would make the argument that, you know, the Ontario and the federal government are the ones that are best positioned to move economic supports to people. And they did do that. They did that through the CERB system and the different benefits that came along. Uh, but back to this particular case, it was about property taxes. And Ms. Walker was right. The city did take some steps right at the beginning of the pandemic to offer, first of all, a 60-day grace period for taxpayers. Um, so that, you know, right at the start of the pandemic, when things were so uncertain. And then there was a program for six months that said if you signed up for it and you had some proof that you had some, some issues about paying your taxes, that you wouldn't be charged penalties, provided you paid it all at the end of the period. And that's just with the fundamental principle that you know the city's not a business. We don't we don't collect taxes to make money. We collect taxes to pay our bills for the services that we provide on behalf of all citizens. And so it's it's a pass through system, and uh, you know a, a very difficult story. But I have to wonder if it's the municipal's uh, municipal government's role to try to deal with um, the pressures that Ms. Walker is facing because of her circumstances and her appointment. Uh,
1: David Rottfleisch, is there any kind of uh, negotiation that's available to someone like Wendy? I mean, generally, if you can't pay your bills, uh, there, there are ways to negotiate or anything like that. You can see how uh, it's frustrating and very difficult if if the, the, the amounts just keep getting bigger.
7: So I'll give you a quick answer and then step back because I have a different perspective. Uh, no, there's, there's no provision to deal with this. And the broader issue in my mind, and I, 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 I think I have to somewhat disagree with the counselor, is this is not a tax issue. She, she's not necessarily asking for a break on her taxes, and, and that's a separate policy issue we can get into, whether the municipality should or should not be getting it. This is an interest issue. She's being charged interest because she cannot afford to make the payments. And the interest is on the interest and it balloons. Now, there is no provision that I'm aware of for interest relief on the municipal level. So at the federal level, we have clients all the time at TaxPage.com who have huge problems with making their interest payments with making the tax payments federally and then the interest arises. And CRA has a very well recognized relief program called the fairness application, where you can apply for a number of different reasons to get interest and penalty relief, one of those being financial hardship. So this would be a classic case if this was federal taxes owing and interest accumulating, uh, and it can be huge because federal taxes are often a lot more than municipal taxes, you apply for relief through the fairness program. And In these circumstances, there's little doubt in my mind she would be eligible for and would receive relief. And this is not just a COVID problem. There are people in the city of Toronto, everywhere in the country, who cannot make ends meet. And they can't pay bills. They get charged taxes. So you get get charged interest. You get charged interest on your credit card bill. That's something you can't really deal with. You get charged interest on a government bill. Why is there not a relief program available? So my perspective is: Yes, the government needs taxes. The municipal government needs taxes to pay its expenses. I mean, as it's not a profit-making enterprise, as the councillor pointed out. But why is it charging interest and interest on in top of interest? And why is this accumulating? Why is it not a relief program? Uh,
1: Stephen Holliday, has there been any thought of uh, offering a relief program, as there are for other types of bills?
6: Well, there are some relief programs, uh, and in particular, those focused on seniors or individuals with disabilities with low incomes, they can apply. uh, It is narrow uh, because it has to do with tax increases and some deferral opportunities for that. There are also other procedures uh, to apply in uh, situations of extreme uh, poverty or extreme sickness, Now, again, very rare. We deal with those on a hearing basis uh, through one of the committees that I sit on. Um, But I think you go back to the original principle, though, is uh, you can't use the city as a bank. You can't not pay your taxes and then sort of put that money aside. Um, A private corporation would be charging interest on fees unpaid. And and to to be clear, um, it's 1.25% per month on property taxes. Um, and and people need to pay the taxes. And there's actually an escalating process because the the, the taxes are collected on behalf of the citizens of Toronto. Otherwise, everybody would be subsidizing it. Um, And the city can even be in a circumstance where they have to seize a property and sell the house to clear out the backlog of rear taxes. So, you know, the one last question in all this that's important, though, is if if you're the owner of a property, It's worth a million or a million and a half dollars. And uh, there's a tax arrear on it, and that's different than an arrear on uh, income tax, where you could be in a situation where you got nothing. If you're the owner of a property, how do you go back to the citizens of the city and say, well, we're going to forgive all this interest and the citizens of the city are going to eat it um, uh, because the homeowner still has this capital that they've got? It's a very hard public policy conversation to have.
1: Okay, we 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 will get to that uh, in further depth in a moment. Right now, we've got to take another break and we will be back with Wendy Walker and our uh, two experts when we come back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.